You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents... This episode of Monster Talk deals with a lot of horrible murder and torture and the question of whether any of it really happened. But if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, you might be really bothered by some of our discussion. This episode may not be suitable for young children or the very sensitive, and we won't be taking very long to get into it, so this is your warning. Monster Talk. The 1971 horror film, Daughters of Darkness, is a solid entry in a genre that some have called lesbian vampire horror. Some of these films lean heavily into erotica and torture, and others are more artistic and literary. Hammer Films released several such entries based on Sheridan Le Fanu's 1872 vampire classic, Carmilla. But Daughters decided to go in a different direction, and based its dastardly demoniac dyad on the real historical figure of Lady Elizabeth Bathory. In a famously chilling scene, a young newlywed couple is menaced by the ethereal vamp who proceeds to tell the story of her ancestor, the bloodthirsty countess who is the subject of this episode. What follows is an audibly disturbing retelling of the litany of horrors allegedly perpetrated by this ancient ancestor of hers, juxtaposed with the visual erotic seduction of the young husband right in front of his young bride. As the strange red-clad woman digs deeper and deeper into her family's history, she's mesmerizing the man and infuriating the woman. And by the end of this scene, the bride is outraged and the husband insensible. It's an amazing scene, but it also helps widely spread some of the most outrageous of the tales spoken of this real historical figure. What was it you said? I was telling Valerie about the history of our family, the Batori. Mm, listen to that. It's so... So revolting and yet so interesting. Even though the Countess was buried over 300 years ago... The Countess Ergebet Batori, my ancestor. 
Elizabeth is Elizabeth in Hungarian, but she was best known as the Scarlet Countess. Imagine, she bled 300 virgins to death. Some say 800. A woman will do anything to stay young. But drinking human blood. She believed human blood was the elixir of youth. Exactly. Do you know about her? Yes, I've read of her. She kidnapped young girls and kept them chained to give blood. Blood for her to bathe in and drink. No. Oh, yes. Yes. And she hung them up by the wrists and whipped them until their tortured flesh was torn to shreds. Oh, yes, that's it. And she clipped off their fingers with shears. No. She pricked their bodies with needles. Yes. Yes, she tore out their nipples with silver pincers. And she bit them everywhere. No. And then she pushed white-hot pokers into their faces. And when they parted their lips to scream, she shoved the flaming rod up into their mouths. Stop it. Oh, yes, yes, go on, go on. She pierced their veins with rusty nails and slit their throats. Stop it! So that their white bodies pumped out young blood over her naked skin. Stop it! Blood, beautiful red blood. Stop it! Her hands and her arms and her legs. Stop it! And her face. Stop it! Stop it, both of you! Well, you get the idea. In this movie, it turns out that the hotel guest with the strange history is not, in fact, a descendant of Lady Bathory. She is Lady Bathory. And this is just one of the many strange and disturbing films based on the life of Elizabeth Batory. And if you think I'm butchering her name, just wait till you hear about what history has done to her reputation. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. We're just going to call her Elizabeth Bathory, but this Hungarian noblewoman has an absolutely notorious reputation. And we're excited to welcome Kina of the Historical AF podcast to talk about the real history and why we might do well to be skeptical about some of the claims around a woman who's often credited as being one of history's most... Oh, I hate to use the word prolific to modify serial killer, but here we are. Karen and I have been wanting to talk about Bathory for a while, so let's just get straight to the monster talk. To start, uh, Kina, we wanted to bring you on the show to talk about uh, Elizabeth Bathory, and we'll go into pronunciation soon, I guess. Um, (laughs) But I found out about you through the Spooky Science Sisters, uh, their podcast. I believe that they interviewed you, and, and they are so cool and so fun. Yes, I love them. They've been on my podcast three times now. Yeah, oh, yeah. I adore yeah. them. Lots of laughter with those guys. Yes. Um, 
And But I was really fascinated to see that they'd interviewed uh, you about this topic. And so we've wanted to talk about Elizabeth Bathory for a couple of years and, and we just haven't found the right person until now. And uh, we've been doing somewhat of a series of, even though the show's Monster Talk, talking about monstrous people like Hitler and we've done a show on Rasputin. So this is kind of part of that series of talking about uh, monstrous people. Yeah, and I I have the controversial hot take that I don't think she's as monstrous as people think she is. (laughs) And this is a skeptical show, and I've been kind of skeptical of a lot of the stories over the years, so we can definitely uh, go into all of that. It it does seem a bit much. So do you have like a a go-to blurb? Like, What's your elevator pitch if people want to know about who she... Oh, by the way, before we get into this, I, I should say... I'm confident her name's probably not pronounced Elizabeth Bathory, but that's probably the best you're going to get out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is Hungarian. So her name is Erzabet Bathory, Dex said, which I'm probably butchering that. Like I say, the hills come out and I try so hard to say things (laughs) right and it just never, never comes out. But yeah, a lot of people go with the more English version, Elizabeth Bathory. If, if Elizabeth, if you're listening and have a problem with our pronunciation, you know where to send the email. Right? So. <laughs> yes, yes. I fully acknowledge that it's Hungarian. I just know that if I attempted the Hungarian the whole time, it would just be different variations of wrong. <laughs> it's a very tricky language, Hungarian. Should we should we call this episode Hungarian Ghoulish? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's perfect. And Kina, I didn't warn you about Blake's puns, so I guess we've... Just dive straight into that. Yeah, yeah. Let's just. Oh no, yeah. I love a good pun. All right, good. Well, you'll have to make do with what I could provide. What's a bad one? Too? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you could tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and your work, and then we'll get into the topic. Yes. Well, like I said, I'm Kina. I'm a public historian, which that's just a fancy way of saying that I like to interpret history. That's a little outside the academic norms. So a lot of times public historians work in museums, they do tours, they find ways to talk about history in new ways and kind of acknowledge the evolution, which is really exciting for me because especially with this topic, there's so much new research that kind of rewrites history a little bit and takes in consideration the context of history, which I find really interesting. My podcast is Historical AF. It is a comedy. It's a little boozy, a little a little foul mouth. But I have special guests come join me, and we dive into funny, weird, eerie, morbid historical topics, and we just give you a little historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. And it's been really fun. I cover really funny topics. I know you guys said you've done Rasputin. That was kind of the inspiration for the podcast because he is a wild character. Mm-hmm. Indeed, <laughs> has some uh, funny. I don't even know how to say it. It's um, a running joke because a part of him is supposedly in a museum somewhere and it's hilarious. But yeah, we cover. Yes. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the inspiration. I was telling my husband the story about the jar in Russia and he told me, you need an outlet for this. That's not me. <laughs> okay. That's that's well said. That's yeah. that's good. Yeah. yeah. I think Blake's heard that before too. I think well, I think my podcasting has probably improved my marriage in many ways because there are people who do want to hear what I have to say. They yeah. just don't happen to be married to me. 
Exactly. Oh, all I, eight I think, of them. <laughs> I think he appreciates history and, you know, goes to museums with me, but I have a passion for it that's just too much for him sometimes. So it's really fun to have different guests every week and to talk about different aspects. Like this week, we just wrapped up space history, which got really weird with, you know, the Bible stories about people thinking aliens are actually angels or vice versa. And it just gets really fun. So I just really like using my degree. And in between jobs, I moved to Texas because I am a military spouse. And so in between jobs and then COVID hit, so it kind of got extended a little bit. I decided to do a podcast so that I could keep my research skills up and use my degree while I search for my next opportunity. Woohoo! Fantastic. And so what's your interest in Elizabeth Bathory? I am very drawn to women in history that have gotten a bad edit, so to speak. There's a lot of women that are seen as monsters, are seen as terrible and done terrible things. And when you really dig into it, you find that a lot of these things were written much later, years, decades, centuries after they died. So it makes you kind of question how much of it is actually true. And there's a lot of women like... Not to say she's an incredible person. We will get into it. <laughs> I have my <laughs> doubts. I don't think she was a nice person. But, hmm. you know, there's people like Hatshepsut in Egypt, who was one of the greatest pharaohs in history who got erased. And I just find a, I'm really interested in those characters that people tried to smear their name or completely erase them from history. Well, I mean, it's it, it's fascinating how much we can lose historically and, and only like the legends come forward. I mean, yeah, like, they're like Lizzie Borden. I mean, she's a real person. She has real history, but most people only know like the lurid sort of summary versions of her, right? Not the like literally complications of her trial and all that sort of thing. So, but give us the elevator pitch for who is Elizabeth Bathory. All right. So most people have probably heard of her as the Blood Countess or Lady Dracula, but a lot of times she's described as the most vicious or torturous female serial killer in recorded history. You know, legend has it that she bathed in the blood of virgins and had relations with the devil himself. But when you really look past the legend part, when you get to the real human, that's when the questions start coming up. Is she really a monster? Did she really inspire Dracula? Or was she just a really powerful woman that got a bad edit in history? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that uh, according to the Guinness World Records or Book of World Records that she's listed as the, the most prolific female serial killer. And I've heard a range of figures, anything from 17 people through to 3,000 victims, which really seems over the top, even if there is any any truth to this. And that uh, she mostly sought out uh, young peasant girls as victims who were aged between 10 and 14. So, yeah, I mean, just those figures, just some of those sound outrageous to me. Uh, I think the average figure that I see is around 600 people or 650 people who were killed. Yeah, and this is one of those instances, I'm a big proponent of citing sources and finding reliable sources, and it takes you a long time to get to a source that even starts to question this, which I find is a little dangerous for history because everybody has accepted that 600 total, but when you go into the actual sources that have been translated, that's when you start seeing that that number was, it came from a certain area that it's not necessarily true. And that that this is one of the perfect examples to me of be careful what you read, because everybody mm-hmm. has taken this version as truth and hasn't questioned it for so long. 
Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons I think we've hesitated to cover this topic is because it's got okay. First, first of all, it's, it's lurid. That's okay. I mean, I mean, it's not okay if these are people who really died. But yeah, oh yeah, it's sickening some of the stories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like full of like lurid legendary. And then mm-hmm. from a monster talk perspective, she's somehow become closely associated with vampirism in, in the mm-hmm. 20th century. I don't know if that was around. I don't, it seems like weirdly, some of the references have her being more associated with werewolves before this, but I, I don't know. But in the 20th century, closely, and I, maybe we should blame Hammer for this because in 1970, they make a movie. Uh, what was it? Uh, was it Lady Dracula? Something like that. Where um, Yeah. Uh, she ends up like being a character, and then you get the uh, Daughters of Darkness, which is oh, oh, I love that movie, 1971. But there's lots of, I mean, there's lots of fictional versions, and even the history of her seems like it might be fictional. So I was just mm-hmm. really, I didn't know how to even tackle this topic because, like, wh- how do you know? How do you figure out what's real? Like, I mean, like even at the time that the like, not trial, but. Like when she was sort of like publicly, I guess her accomplices were on trial. She wasn't on trial, but you know, even the judicial system was different back then. I don't even know what the rules of evidence were, but it seems like it was all based on hearsay. It's it's true. And a lot of this, there's a lot of background context. So if you don't mind, I'll just kind of give you some of the background because it's kind of a thing that if you see all the pieces, when they finally come together, that's when you're like, oh, (laughs) that's what happened. So I think we kind of mentioned she was born in 1560. So this is the era we're talking about. And the kingdom of Hungary at this time was Hungary, Slovakia, and Romania today. So if that gives you a mental picture where we're at. And she was born, she was beautiful. Like she was very high standing. She was beautiful. She had this incredible education. And she had so much money that she had more money than the king himself. So that's the first red flag to me that... Mm -hmm. If you have more money than the king, then he might have some problems with you. So log that away. <laughs> I've heard that at some point he owed her a, a large sum of money. So I don't know yes. if there's any truth to that as well. There is. He did. And again, he did not like it. <laughs> sure. And they also had so much land and they had a very, it's a group of land that was very strategically important to what they were trying to do with all the war. She's Beautiful, she's rich, she's got huge tracks of land. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so they essentially dominated Transylvania. So they were so powerful. And in her childhood, there are some rumors that she suffered from epilepsy. And this sparks some of the rumors that she used blood remedies to treat it. So this is where you can see where some biographers talk about how she put blood on her lips and that kind of goes the direction of the bloodbath but it is so unlikely that if she had epilepsy anybody would have documented that because that would have hurt their chances of an advantageous marriage and they were nobility and they weren't going to show any weakness so to me that doesn't seem like a fact it seems like something that was thrown in later to try to prove this point that she was a monster it just doesn't make sense. People would not have bragged about that or told anybody or allowed anybody that worked in their household to talk about it either. It's just sure. not how nobility worked. <laughs> I've also read that uh, when she was young, she was exposed to violence and cruelty and maybe even witchcraft. So is there any – I know that those days were a lot more brutal uh, and that her family was certainly involved in the military too. So is there 
any truth to that tidbit? I wouldn't say she had a loving family because that also wasn't something that was typical for an ability back then. I I don't know if they would have been torturous. And I if they were, I don't think that would have been documented either. I, I do know that by the time she was 10, she was already betrothed. So her whole life would have been preparing to be this noble wife. And it was all about political alliances and stuff. So she was not really raised by family. She would have been raised by, you know, house ladies of the house, you know, people getting ready and teaching her all the things of how to be a lady. I guess all those uh, fancy things that I don't understand. Cause again, I'm from the Hills. (laughs) I I don't know how to be a lady. And five years later she was married. So she was married at 15 and out of the house. So she had her own castle by then at Kachtika, and that was about 1575. So she could have had a childhood, perhaps that was a little rocky, but the witchcraft servants, those start popping up in different areas, depending on which biographer you're looking at. But a lot of those tend to kind of pop up later in life. Mm-hmm. So she married this man who... By the way, she outranked him, so he took her last name, which I find amazing. That's one of my favorite yeah. fun facts. So forward, yeah. It's like yeah. John he Lennon and Yoko Ono. <laughs> yeah. And his name was Farron Nadesi, and he was 14 when they got married, and he was this great warrior, and he went down as a war hero. So he also kind of gets a bad rap, and people talk about how brutal he was and that perhaps they were drawn to each other because they were both sadistic but again that is there's nothing to substantiate any of that there's no actual proof it makes a good story though makes a great story and another thing that makes a great story is that she was rumored to have this child out of wedlock before they got married and that it was possibly a worker somebody that was lower ranking than her and there's stories about how she tried to kill the child and then there's other stories where it was ripped from her arms and she never forgave them but again there's no evidence and it really seems like a character assassination if anything i feel like there would have been evidence but they can't point to anything that says that this really happened other than they want to say that she was you know have loose morals and try to pinpoint a moment when this started but again she was betrothed at 10 they would have they would have had their eyes on her because it was a political alliance. They wouldn't have let her be alone at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, a lot is a lot at stake, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that family is power hungry, so I I do believe that they wouldn't have let there be any mistakes. Yeah. So 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 she's rich and she's well landed, and she marries this war guy. Now you say he was a war hero. Did he did he die in battle? I, I know he doesn't make it through the whole story. Yeah, it, that's also up for debate. Some people say that he died in battle. And then there's also later people try to make it seem like he died mysteriously of some crazy illness. And then some people point towards her as murdering him. But again, there is no evidence whatsoever that she had anything to do with it. It's I crazy think- how many lies and rumors are around her. And that's really hard to filter out what's factual and what actually can be you know, researched and then what yeah. people have said later. Oh, yeah, especially when there's a couple of hundred years that have gone by and we're talking about a different culture and language. Oh, yeah. And after she died, she was not talked about until late 1700s, really. So 
And at that point, people are like, oh, well, I knew this lady in the village that heard from her grandma that this happened. (laughs) And that's where a lot of that came from. That's where the bathing in blood came from with somebody from the village saying, oh, yeah, I heard about that. But everybody that was alive in that time, they were no longer living. So it was all hearsay. Yeah. So that's that came out more than a century later, right? Like, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, Suspicious. We should probably... (laughs) It, among all the things that might be true of her, the the bathing in blood, which is really kind of her signature move. Right? Yeah. It really wasn't yep. a real thing. So, yeah. yeah. Again, it makes a great story. Unless you've actually, like, worked with blood, and then it's just nasty. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> and with the vampire ties and the ties to Dracula, I can understand people being disappointed that it's not true, but mm. it's... Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's interesting, too, that uh, a lot of these stories started surfacing once her husband had died so she didn't have her protector any longer that's true yeah that's suspicious that uh uh yeah nothing really surfaced during his lifetime and then when she doesn't have uh, his protection then they start coming out and uh, again the story is just really brutal and sadistic and yeah uh, it's sickening to really do some research and hear all of the stories. And I think that's another reason that we've been loath to cover this topic because we just keep hearing the same stories and the same folklore being mm-hmm. repeated again and again. And it's really hard to get to any truth. Yeah. Like I said, it takes a lot to get to anything that seems factual. And well, during his lifetime, he was a commander of the Hungarian army and they called him the Black Knight of Hungary. And he was gone a lot. A lot of sources say that he only came home for religious holidays. So that's just a couple of times a year. So while he was gone, she actually took care of all their estates, which was a lot. She had several and she had tons of people under her control. And by all accounts, she was really good at it. You know, again, I don't think she was a nice person, but she was very good at managing estates. And there were rumors flying because people don't like the idea of a woman in the 16th century, having that much power. So there were rumors flying, but nobody was doing anything about it. But this is when it starts bubbling up during his lifetime. But like you said, once he was gone, she had complete control over everything. She actually inherited everything, and people did not like that. Mm-hmm. No, she, she had kids with him. Yes. And the interesting thing is their first child was born 10 years after they got married, So again, that's also controversial because most people of nobility would try to have their first child within the first year. So Mm -hmm. there are rumors. Again, she's just so many rumors. (laughs) And and some people are like, well, maybe she was infertile or maybe it was a lack of Mm -hmm. interest that they didn't like each other. But that's not likely because both those things were grounds for divorce and you needed an heir to pass down your lands and wealth. And there's no evidence that he was displeased by her at all. And they seemed to actually get along. And he seemed to respect her from the letters. It wasn't some great love story. They weren't mushy by any means. But he trusted her to take care of everything. And they seemed to have a good, at least a friendship. And the likely reason is just poor timing. Like I said, he only came home like three times a year. Yeah, so his, his sword was busy in other countries. Yeah. 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 So a metaphor <laughs> action there. Take that listeners. Again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like comedic poor timing. So, you know, yeah. as far as it goes, I mean, what we know now about like fertility and stuff, it just makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So maybe if we can talk a little bit, bit about uh, the, 
the accusations which are laid against her then when her yeah. husband passes. So he dies at about 1604. And again, people are still fuzzy. Some people started immediately thinking that she killed him, which is not likely he probably either got sick or injured in battle so she's this widow she's in this powerful position and that's when the rumors start to escalate and they get very dramatic so it turns from just being maybe she's a witch maybe she's hurting people to just full-on sadistic murderer and the accusations i do have some i will add a trigger warning because these are awful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so starting with burning their genitals with a candle that one you see a lot of places biting death. These are being done to peasant women, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. Is Serfdom it? was really big in Hungary right now. So these families would just send their children to her to work in the castle. And so the idea is people say that nobody knew where these girls went, which, again, I find really suspicious because there's only so many young girls in your lands you can't mm-hmm. kill them all. I, I that's oh, yeah. somebody would have noticed. And I knew that they I know they don't have a standing, a social standing, but somebody would notice if all oh, for of that them. many. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't add up. But yeah, these are all the servants in the household. There's a lot of accounts of throwing cold water on them, leaving them outside to freeze to death, being covered in honey and left outside for insects to devour. Strange uh, lot, one. Yeah, and just visioning that is really uncomfortable and a terrible mm-hmm. waste of honey by the way just, oh i know right that just seems yeah. even at that time it seems like that would have been very valuable to have honey but that's a good point that really is very wasteful <laughs> and there's whippings especially with stinging nettles beatings boiling water a lot of accounts of sticking pins and needles and fingers and lips which was also another a big move by Lavori in new orleans i think that was one of her mo's uh hot pokers tongs stabbing with scissors there were some accounts again these are so wildly all over the place that she would bite off pieces of flesh it's just literally the worst things you can imagine there are some accusations of cannibalism and again like i said at the very beginning there were people that claim to see her having sex with the devil himself, which I mean, honestly, if that doesn't tell you that there's <laughs> some yeah. uh, exaggeration happening, I don't know what is. And then of course the most famous, like we talked about is that her bathing in the blood of her victims to either cure her epilepsy that she probably didn't have or to maintain her youthful appearance. But again, I think that really leads to, she was powerful and beautiful and people are really mad about that. I think, Mm-hmm. You just shouldn't be either if she's beautiful obviously she has to deal with the devil there's no way she could have all this power it is weird how much there's this uh, f- sort of connectedness between the young and the blood of the young in folklore because mm-hmm. and it's not just back then it's like even now there's this whole thing with like the QAnon people believing that there's this adrenochrome chemical that you know, you get oh, by yeah. scaring young children and draining it from them and giving it to the rich to make them high and stay young. <laughs> and then there's like this weird, real sort of technology of like in labs, they can connect an old mouse with a young mouse, you know, intravenously. And like it will the the blood from the young mouse will give the older mouse like vigor. But they are sewing them together. Right. So until I see 
like old rich people sold to young victims or whatever. I, I'm not sure I'm going to buy into this, but there is a lot of curiosity. And as people who are very wealthy, you know, get older, they start to look for these ways, you know, like, how can I stay young? How can I stay vigorous? How can I keep my mind alert? And I, yeah, I can see the temptation to like try alternative means, but this seems mm-hmm. a bit much. It seems it a bit much. It seems yeah. excessive. Yeah. And I have heard of that. I think Mel Gibson, his dad, was getting blood transfusions from young people. It's some weird stuff out there. I don't. Not yeah, I think it's a trope in <laughs> TV shows and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's just it also gets wild because there's why would she do this? And of course, there's witchcraft and the vampire lore, and that she's just sadistic or a serial killer. And then one of the this is true. One of the accusations is that she was quote crazed because she was suffering from menopause or syphilis. And I mean, come on. (laughs) Wow. Menopause. History, some things written about women are just so, you can tell that they hate them so much. (laughs) Yeah, it's so misogynistic. (laughs) And again, like you said, it was alleged as many as 650 girls and young women were murdered over a 35-year period. And more, I don't want to say realistically, but aligned with the trials, it was around 37 to 51 around the time of her arrest. And some people claim that the only reason she got caught is because she ran out of peasant girls and started killing women of nobility, which that would be the most believable thing about this whole story is that nobody cared until the noble girls died. That sounds historically accurate. But again, I don't think she was just killing people. Yeah, and, but for the claims to go from 37 to 600, that's a serious case of sinflation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Today's episode of Monster Talk is brought to you by BetterHelp. Karen, have you ever had any anxiety before? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, uh, especially over the course of the last uh, year and a half. Oh, oh, was something going on? Something going on? (laughs) (laughs) There's always something going on. We had actually, you know, my kids had a COVID exposure and the school called and they were like, your child was exposed to someone who had COVID. Um, You know, you don't need to take any action right now. And they went over all this stuff and they went on and on and on. And then finally she says, do you have any questions? I said, just one. What's COVID? What's (laughs) COVID? It's a very stressful matter. And so it's good to know that there is a professional counseling service that's available online that people can turn to. Exactly. I, I This is so good. I think there's plenty of evidence that with the right counselor, you know, this kind of therapy can be extremely beneficial. I'm very excited that we've got this opportunity to offer a deal for our listeners to get that kind of quality support mm-hmm. without having to leave their own home. We've we've had a lot of people write into us over the years and say that Monster Talk has been therapy for them, listening to the show, especially with the the live shows that we've been doing during COVID. But I think sometimes you need a bit more than just listening to a podcast. I think you need someone to talk to and uh, someone who can support you and help you, especially during this time. Exactly. And I think BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors. So, Which we are not. <laughs> well, we are not. Exactly. <laughs> but, and I think it, but it really matters because having someone who has professional ethics and competency in offering support and being able to listen to you and offer good advice 
is so powerful and helpful. <laughs> and uh, sometimes people just don't have that in their life. They don't have a friend or a family member. Or if they oh, yeah. do they have somebody they can talk to, it's, they would feel uncomfortable talking about the deeper issues. That's right. Having uh, someone you know will never share your information <laughs> and that you can grow and have a professional relationship with. Yet an emotional like opening up, like I think it, it can be very helpful in trying to, and, and often when you have these kind of problems in your life, you feel the anxiety, but you don't know why. And sometimes talking with a counselor can help you. Oh yeah, it just looms like a like a cloud. And, and being able to narrow it down and recognize, is this depression? Is it anxiety? What are the causes? Yeah, sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference between the two, and you can certainly go into both and, and back and forth. But the thing I like about this company is that they're worldwide. So we've got listeners who are in Australia, Canada, the UK, obviously the United States, New Zealand, elsewhere. I think it's really great that the service is available to everyone, no matter where you are. It's not strictly video. You can also do uh, text-based messaging with your counselor, and they will actually help you find a counselor who's specializing in the kind of issues you have. And they do deal with a lot of different issues, depression and stress, uh, relationship issues, uh, just a, a wide variety. You're talking about me there? <laughs> Isn't that the, that's the uh, Barnum effect, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I know that they cover issues with sleeping too. And I, I think I've yes. issues at least for the past oh, six years. My family's using counseling services and it has been tremendously helpful. So being able to get a hold of this without having to leave your house is so powerful. And this is very affordable. Um, and I think... We have a deal that we'll offer here at the end of this uh, this spot here, but I just they are so successful right now. There's so many people that they're actually hiring counselors in, in all 50 states right now. So I think it's convenient and professional. It's affordable. And if you go on to their site at BetterHelp.com, you'll find testimonials are being posted every day by people who've had positive experiences. So I, I think it's a really great opportunity for our listeners if they're having issues to get some help. Uh, I would point out it's not a crisis line. It's not a self-help line. It's, it is professional licensed counselors dealing with you securely online. Uh, and, and they can also be through text messaging. So it's going to be like what you're comfortable with. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And so I think our listeners, if they're interested, should check out BetterHelp, which is H-E-L-P dot com slash monster talk so that they can get that 10% off for their first month. Exactly. And you can join over a million people who've taken this, a step in getting charge of the mental health. And again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Monster Talk. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M 
Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy. UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Does it seem like there's any evidence that she did run a, a finishing school for noble girls? Sounds like she finished all of them. Yes. No, she just had a really large estate and she had several of them and she was running multiple castles. So a household would have, you know, people close to her, like her ladies that were maids, and then there'd be cooks and there'd people outside you know taking care of the livestock and the garden so it would be a lot of people but she wasn't necessarily training them for anything no there's no evidence of that sure and even if there were complaints about her and her doing things to the peasant girls the only person that you could complain to in this system of nobility would be her husband when he was alive and then her so that does make sense that if people were suspicious, they wouldn't come to her. Because what are they going to say? Like, I think you're killing my children. She'd be like, no. The murders will continue till morale improves, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the first actual source, the first tangible source that you can find that even hints to any of this is from a Lutheran minister named Istvan Magyari, I think. And he made the first public complaint saying that they're were disturbances and the biographer that takes this and interprets it wildly his name is michael farron and the book is called heroine of horror and it's only in german so i could only find a few translations but he took this testimony from this man that said that he was suspecting that she was treating the lower classes cruelly and that there were people that heard screams but he turned it into people were noticing fresh graves. And so there's a disconnect from what was actually written and what he put. So he definitely threw some drama into the whole mix to make it a little bit more suspenseful. But the actual testimony, it was, yeah, people hear weird stuff coming. So, And there is evidence that she did have her servants beaten. So it would make sense that if you heard a lot of screaming and things and people were unhappy and We'll get to it in a little bit, but there was a few times where people were beaten and then they did die. So it's not that nobody died. It's just not 600 people. I think, unfortunately, that kind of thing would have been somewhat common in those days when it came to the nobility or the and royalty, um, that there would have been abuses against 
servants because they were just seen as expendable. Absolutely. I would argue that nobody would have batted an eye of the accusations that were said by this man because it was normal. I mean, it's horrible, but it was normal because these people worked for you and you essentially owned them because it was serfdom. And whatever you did, that was your property. And it's it's tragic. But at that time, it wouldn't have raised any flags. So getting to the investigation, she was running all these estates. She had all this money. The king was a little irked that she had all that money. And he also owed her a lot of money. And so Hungarian scholars are now like, wait a minute, there might be something more to this. So if he were to take her to court and she was sentenced to death for treason as king, he would have been entitled to all her land and his debt would be canceled. So this is the other flag, but this is not what happened. So there's a third flag. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. This was complex the plan. story. Yeah, it's very complex. So if he sent his man to go investigate and she is put to death, then all his troubles are over. He gets so much money. He gets so much lands. He doesn't owe anybody anything. I mean, it's a win-win for him, right? Sure. Yeah. So he sends in his highest ranking representative, Georgi Thurzo, to investigate. And he was the Palatine of Hungary, which is kind of like a, he had his own judicial powers. So he was able to try in his own right. And he ironically was charged by the dying Ferenik, her husband, to protect his wife when he died. So, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some irony. So about March to July 1610, he interviewed 52 witnesses, 34 were servants of her, of her household. And these witnesses are the ones that started telling these tales of bruised and beaten women, people being stripped and left outside to die of exposure. This is where some of those stories are starting to come. But again, if you think about these towns, these villages, it's like a game of telephone. If one person tells a story like, oh, I heard such and such saw this girl bleeding to death outside and it just goes through the village, they probably already think she's a witch because she's a woman running this whole thing by herself. I mean, it makes sense that everything's going to snowball really fast. There was a, a clerk who did say that he saw a girl that had badly burnt hands. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, she does beat us. But the really bad you know, wounds, that's from the cook. She did that. And so there's a lot of missing pieces. They're like, oh, we have all the proof. This is a shut, open and shut case. But it really wasn't. And he didn't really have a lot to go on at this point. So there, there were a lot of, what I'm hearing is there's a lot of diverse management styles within the household. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's the 1600s. I imagine it was just horrifying, just normal, a good day. I'm just imagining <laughs> a, a business consulting book for the 1600s. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and again, there were, you know, a lot of people were called hearing cries of pain and the sounds of a whip, but there was no evidence of torture or torture chamber like people in the village were saying they heard that existed. Even today, people are like, oh, if you go down into the basement, it's a torture chamber. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure and I'm pretty sure that they have something set up now for a tourist trap to be like, oh, she was a serial killer. They do that for Dracula's castle, too. Yeah. Yeah. But doesn't yeah, mean it's true. <laughs> Yeah, here there's a huge industry in Hungary for people who are just fascinated with the folklore about her. So 
I'm sure there are a lot of people who have something to gain from that and don't really want it to end. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I've heard a lot of this Dracula stuff is tied into cryptocurrency. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably going to be the next one that comes out. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's good. So around 1610 in December, she actually gets arrested and Terzo claims to have caught her in the act. Again, there's no actual evidence other than what he said and the people that were with him that were under his command. They're like, oh, yeah, we totally caught her about to kill somebody. You know, Mm -hmm. wink, wink. And at that time, they did discover one dead girl and another that was severely injured. But at the time, she, like I said, she claimed that the Countess didn't do that. Like, it wasn't that bad. But then... When they went to get another testimony from her, she changed her story and said it was this horrible thing and that she barely made it out alive. But then they found out later that he offered her a lot of money and a land if she lied. So Uh Hmm. maybe maybe I'm jumping the gun. She was awarded this stuff and it was all courtesy of Terzo. So I'm assuming Mm -hmm. educational guess that it was uh, if you say this, I'll give you this. There was no quid pro quo. What- yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like she was one of the lucky ones then, because from what I've read, other witnesses confessed under torture oh, rather yes. than being given uh, a kickback. Yeah, and exactly. And anybody will say anything when they're being tortured. It's not a reliable oh, God, yeah. source. So that's always yeah, that's- go for the carrot. Don't wait for the stick. That's my, my yeah. advice. Yeah. So. <laughs> and during this time, the Countess was locked in her dungeon at her castle at Kashtika and that's when they started collecting all these testimonies but again these are all people that work for Terzo that are gaining something from this so you have to really take that all with a grain of salt so he did a really great job of taking care of her after her husband died exactly exactly it's so weird so he comes in but I'm still a little unclear on how this goes down right because her I'm going to air quote here, accomplices, Uh they get tried and killed, right? Mm -hmm. But she never gets a trial. Yep. So this is, this is the plot twist. That's going to blow your mind. I'm I'm really curious about this. What, what happens? So Terzo tried her in a secret trial. She was not convicted and she was not sentenced to death because that's what the King wanted. Right. So instead, he had the servants convicted of witchcraft, and they were burned at the stake, and they were charged with the deaths of the girls. And she was sentenced to life imprisonment in her castle where she was bricked up in her room, and she remained in house arrest for about four years until she died. And this meant that her fortune and her lands went to her family, and now the king owed the debt to her family. And guess who was part of her family by marriage? Who, who, who? Tell me. Terzo. (laughs) What? (laughs) She benefited directly from this. Mm Hmm. Hmm. Yes. That's very suspicious. Yeah. So all the family, and and it's also suspicious that nobody, I mean, I'm sure this all happened very fast, but Mm -hmm. as powerful as they are, they must have heard what was coming and none of them rushed to help either. And she she had a lot of support from, you know, the ruler of Transylvania and which was a rival of Hungary, too. She had a lot of support, but this part of the family kind of swooped in and 
made it happen so fast and they didn't stop it. So it it does seem really suspicious that the people that benefited the most from this were the ones that were like, oh, yeah, that totally happened. Yeah. And he had some big political ambitions, too. He was the kind of dude that I, I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And the fact that he undermined the king, too, he must have thought he was going to get way more power by doing this, which he did. I mean, that's a lot of money because now the king owes him money. So what's he going to do? <laughs> Just, do wow. we know after after she died, do we have much information about Terzo and what happened to him? Um, A little bit. He He doesn't necessarily become this big political force that I think he wanted to. But her and her family, they live very well. They all especially her children, they had very advantageous marriages too. They all had children. But after her death, they kind of kind of slid out of the limelight a little bit. Like there's not a whole lot on them. They just had, as far as nobility, they had great lives, but they weren't huge political forces like their mother. And with Terzo, I think he probably had bigger ambitions, but it never really, he never became this huge force that I think he wanted to. But he did act very well with his life. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there's lots of reasons to be suspicious mm-hmm. a- about the numbers of deaths involved and the outlandish claims. Yeah. Yes. And I should also add that the court officials and the jury all owed allegiance to Terzo too. So that's an <laughs> totally so rigged. All the witness, all the witnesses, all the court officials, all the jury, everybody was in his pocket. This is some Game of Thrones level stuff, right? So Yeah, yeah. it really, really is. Yeah. And it sounds like the accomplices were just scapegoats. Yeah, yeah. It Unfortunately for them, yeah, I think that they were tortured to the point that they said whatever they wanted them to say. I guess, I guess the, the burning question in my mind is, was she, like, did she kill people? And if so, was it any more than any other noble? Or was she just a target because of her power? Like mm-hmm. that—that's—that's that's what I'm very curious about. Because I mean, I don't know anybody who's like. I mean, I mean, of course that may speak to my ignorance, but it seems like being a a noble person uh, uh, or arist- aristocrat at any point during like you know pre 20th century Europe and even then, I mean, like it's like they they can get up to a lot of nastiness to to peasants. Like you know, I mean, yeah. it, it was really easy to destroy dismiss you know harm peasants through lots of ways i don't know if like you literally choke them to death or whatever that might be an exception but if you starve them to death that's okay i mean you just got to do your job right that's just part of the job it's weird how unvalued a human life could be and yet in certain circumstances it suddenly you don't you just don't do it that way right so yeah like if you starve a thousand peasants because you make economic choices that's okay, but if you choke out thirty because you want to, you know, take a bath in their blood, well, that's unheard of, right? So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I think it's a mixture. I don't think by any means she was a nice person. I don't think that she was a serial killer either. I, I, mm-hmm. I imagine she was probably no more cruel than the men in the same position as her. But I think because she was a woman that didn't have a man by her side that left her open to a lot of ridicule and a lot of speculation. And at this time that was just unheard of. And I think that she probably had a very 
abrasive and powerful personality that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So, I mean, it took nothing for everybody to turn on her. So I imagine she was not, she didn't have a fan club by any means. She made some enemies. Yeah. <laughs> Rich and uncharming. Right? The, yeah. I got a linguistics question. Do you think she would be as remembered today if the bloodbath accusation didn't correspond linguistically so closely to her last name? Like bloodbath bathory, that's catchy. Yeah, I wonder. I I honestly don't think so. I don't. Okay, that's just me. It's probably just me. <laughs> it's you. It's you. <laughs> yeah. This the legend is, I think, why she's remembered. There's a lot of powerful women out there that did this throughout history, but we don't hear about them. We hear about the ones that had this interesting legend around them. So, I, yeah, I think. In one way, it's really awful that her memory has been tainted, you know, that people think that she's this. Because I'm pretty sure, like, American Horror Story is about to do this. It's like Legends is the next season, and I'm pretty sure they're going to have Elizabeth Bathory. Well, they sort of did it in the, the Lady Gaga season was sort of like Oh, that. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, so I think that she's gone down to history. She might not like it, but, I mean, she's remembered. And I think if it wasn't for the yeah. Legends, she wouldn't be remembered at all. If it weren't for the legend, she'd be down the drain. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so she's absolutely remembered today. But as you mentioned uh, earlier on in our discussion, that there was a period where she was erased. And uh, I've heard that there aren't any uh, portraits of her that are original. Uh, no original paintings of her that are, are left anymore. Uh, just copies and and uh, ones that were done after she died. Is there any truth to that? There was a video that showed that in one of the museums in Hungary, it's not on display, but in their vault, they had one painting from her childhood. And I'm not sure if it was from her lifetime or not, but it's the younger version of her that you see when you look up her picture and stuff. But I'm yeah. not necessarily sure, but it makes perfect sense. A lot of times if a family is trying to, because of course, if she's, you know, been imprisoned for murdering all these people, her family would have to play along, right? And be like, oh, we're going to get rid of all her stuff because she's a terrible person and we have to distance ourselves from her. So it would make sense right. that a lot of it would right. be either destroyed or hidden. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I was looking up um, videos on YouTube about the topic. And again, just time after time, they're, they're telling the same stories, the same folklore and not going into any kind of skeptical analysis uh, of the story. But uh, yeah. one there was one video, and I can't remember the name of the fellow who did it, but I've seen other stuff of his, and it seems to usually be really well-researched. But at one point, he showed a supposed portrait of her, and uh, I realized it was a picture of the young Elizabeth I of England. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was like, wow, you really did a great job researching this. But I think it goes to show that, uh, I mean, there are just one or two portraits of her that we just keep seeing again and again mm -hmm. and uh I, so i think there might be some confusion about what she really looked like well the yeah. problem is like she her pictures when she looked young were always the same because she was always young because of the blood of virgins exactly that's <laughs> right yeah always beautiful and young the uh tryst with the devil yeah there's and there's a lot of other things like there was one of the servants who claimed there was a ledger and then it had all the names of all the people she'd ever killed or tortured. And I see a lot of people mention that too. 
and talk about it like it's fact. Well, that ledger was never discovered, but also that servant was illiterate. She wouldn't have been able to read the names because she was never taught how to read. So there's just a lot of, and this is just one of the fun stories where you get to use your own investigative research, just the context. If you, you read everything the way it says, sure, it sounds like a great story. It sounds like a really cool true crime you know tale but when you start thinking about it you're like wait a minute it just it doesn't add up how would that work yeah yeah it it seems pretty broken i'm more comfortable thinking that she didn't commit all of these atrocities it's true yeah i think again i don't think she was a nice person and i don't think anybody that was born into this kind of power and had Mm -hmm. this many people and serfdom was Mm -hmm. awful so if you were in charge of that you probably were an awful person too but I don't think she, I don't like, want to just start talking about privilege. But if you live in a castle and have servants <laughs> that you can kill, I think that may literally be the definition of privilege. That's absolutely <laughs> yeah. she. And again, like it did well for her memory because now she has this reputation that's been immortalized in movies and so many movies. Oh yeah, she's so many books, so many games. You know, yeah, said that she's inspiration for Dracula, which that. It's also debatable because Bram Stoker was Irish and there's a lot of Irish lore that aligns with his tales as well that people don't ever give credit for. And then, of course, you have Vlad the Impaler and, you know, the castle of Wallachia, which he looked at once and was like, that's Dracula. So, you know, a lot of that stuff's very fuzzy, too. But, yeah, the Celtic chieftain, I think it's Abertok. I think I'm saying that right. If you ever look that up, that monster, it actually makes more sense that he got Dracula from that but that's a rant for another time. <laughs> yeah, she she actually just quickly like just to name a few of these movies. Like uh, there's Daughters of Darkness that was seventy one. There's a famous uh, werewolf series by a director Paul Nashi uh, that features her in several cases as like a witch slash sort of strange supernatural character. Uh, Night of the Werewolf eighty one. Chastity Bites twenty thirteen. Mama Dracula nineteen eighty. There's sort of a, a Porn wow. film in 73. <laughs> There's The Countess in 2009. Bathory Countess of Blood, 2008. There's so many movies. So many movies. Oh, yeah. So many books, too. It's wild because even, you know, after the late 1700s when books and stuff start popping up, these biographers are just pulling stuff out of nowhere. It's obvious because yeah. they were just really dramatizing everything that happened and these are the ones that are like oh yeah we heard from this old lady in the village this totally happened and yeah they're just making it up and that's what people are you know citing as fact today and i'm like oh no there's there's a lot (laughs) of books that seem to be like lightly toying with a biography in order to like enjoy the the sort of fictional side of it um Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. several of those books and the one by andre kadrescu who i i used to listen to uh on npr as a poet in the 80s and early 90s i think and it was like really surprised to see he'd written a book about it but it was again when i looked at the reviews they're like yeah this is mostly fiction you know so (laughs) and it sounds like it'd be really hard to write a definitive fact-based book about this character i mean she's a real person but goodness gracious she's like completely entombed in legend oh yeah yeah and i know there's a lot of scholars right now in hungary that are really trying to unravel this whole myth and again a lot of the stuff's been destroyed so it's it's kind of exciting because i think things like that are really fun trying to piece together things that might not exist but 
we're still a long way. I think there's probably parts we'll never know. Well, I was, I was wondering, like, the, the from a historian perspective, you've got, like, you know, trying to find primary documents. And then each of those primary documents need to be contextualized by, you know, who wrote them? What were their motives? When was this written? Exactly. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. But I'm wondering, like, forensically, like, you know, have people, like, searched her, or her castle still around? Have they searched the castle grounds with, like, ground-penetrating radar looking for the bodies bodies and that sort of thing? I mean, like, is there any forensic evidence to support this idea? I I know that her castle, the one where she was in prison, is in ruins. It's a tourist destination, and they kind of, you can go into the, the basement and stuff. And I know that they have done some archaeological things. I don't know if they've done extensive, but with the amount of attention on it you think they would if they thought there was truth to it they would have found it because they could have marketed off of that but you know as somebody that you know wants to work in museums and you can think about what would get the most tourists here that would be the first thing you think of is you know if we had a mass grave of these things this means it's true and people are going to travel to come here because everybody loves the macabre and they love the morbid and so I think that if there was any truth they would have found it by now because they could market off of it same as you know Wallachia the castle like they are marketing off of every bit of truth and he never even really lived there that was like a vacation home for him so you know the typical dracula castle it didn't have those things happen but you know they're making lots of money so yeah i'd love to go there i don't i I don't suspect they had the armadillo problem they had in the 30s but yeah it sounds really cool (laughs) so oh me too i actually named my cat prince of wallachia um we call him wally but he's a little murderer so yeah i i would love to go there too it's beautiful and i just i love the idea that they they embrace it and they just have fun with it because they know especially dumb Mm -hmm. americans we're gonna definitely go to that (laughs) they have like a torture chamber set up and everything it's it's not historically accurate but you know you just do what you can (laughs) it's the same thing with her basement i'm sure they probably set up I can't remember if it's her basement or not, but I know one of them, somebody has set up like a torture chamber. And I'm like, well, they already said in the letters they never found a torture chamber. So you're already, you know, yeah. fibbing yeah, a little I, bit. I think on one video I saw, uh, there was a some kind of tool and that, that had been found there and it was used to cauterize uh, wounds or something. And mm-hmm. that, so I don't know if that was truly from that era, um, but I think that, you could easily position things as though they were being used as, as torture uh, implements. But yeah, certainly certainly a lot of the pictures and uh, things that you see in fan fiction and stuff, you know, it's just really over the top. It looks like Spanish Inquisition style yeah. torture implements. And it's true. And it just shows you the power of legend. So compared to Lady Bathory, would you say that uh, the, the legend of Vlad Tepish impales by comparison? There. <laughs> oh, oh, that was a good one. Good, good, bad one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I find him interesting too because if you look at how people felt about him as a leader during the time, people are like, "Oh, he was horrible." They actually thought he was pretty cool. So no, he's kind of a badass. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just all about the context. I think it's yeah. it's fun to have a good story and be like, "Oh, it's Dracula." A lot of it and, like, depends on how much you hate the Turks. I think is yeah. what it really comes down to. <laughs> it's all about perspective and context, but yeah, I I think Elizabeth Bathory. She she's 
interesting to me. Like I said, I have no doubt she was probably a terrible person that I would not want to be friends with, but I, I not that terrible. Well, yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah. for our listeners, we do have a, a, a final question we want to ask, but I want to say, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast? Like what, what is it like? Like, how do you approach these topics? Is it solo? Do you have guests? I have guests. So I have a theme that the Patreon pick and that's, broken up into three episodes so we do two segments per episode and it's me and a guest so we do weird eerie funny morbid general history and then random and then random's kind of a a fun little challenge where somebody in my patreon gives me a random word and i have to fit it into the story so it's usually (laughs) something i've never heard of and i have to google to be like is this a real word are you trying to trick me so and yeah we do the theme so like i said this current theme is space and we for weird we did an alien angel biblical and it's just a real fun way of looking at different angles of stories nice that sounds really crepuscular what yeah yeah so if you're you're looking for a weird story or a morbid or you're just looking for something eerie like conspiracy or ghost or something you get a pretty well-rounded you know look at a topic and i have guests that are I've had some historians, I've had history podcasts join me, you know, spooky science sisters have a science perspective. I've just had regular guests that just really dig history or the topic. And it's just fun to have a different personality, different perspective every time. And it's just really fun. I I really like having new people every week. It gives me a different perspective that I can't see as somebody that studies history. It's fun to see people that maybe not necessarily have the same background as me or education as me look at history in a different way. It's really, really interesting. Nifty. And I love the title of the podcast too. Yeah. And it's definitely comedic. I, my goal was never to appeal to historians (laughs) as weird as that sounds. My goal is always to target an audience that might, think they hate history because you always hear and it breaks my heart i always hear people say that history was their least favorite subject in school and they hate it and it was boring and so that's my target audience is people that think they hate history and it's the most rewarding thing in the world when i get a review that says i hate history but this is funny and i really like it oh that is nice yeah fantastic or you know this is so fun i don't realize i'm learning so and of course you know (laughs) i am a historian i do really in-depth research but i also try to find funny things about history you know because when you're doing some things like i recently did an episode on hitler and it's hard to make him funny because he's horrible so i have just made he's a got point. that mustache so yeah yeah i refuse to say his name so i call him every name in the book but his name so that made me feel good but i, I talked about the art theft about you know monuments men and rose Valland, who was probably the most incredible spy ever so, yeah, we do touch on the hard stuff, too, because you have to. History is really hard sometimes, and there's a lot of uncomfortableness of that. But, you know, you just sometimes got to stay uncomfortable and grow. So it's not all fun, you know, all funny all the time. But, yeah, we do touch on some of the more important conversations that you need to have in history. Interesting. Cool. Great. And listeners should go and check out your podcast. Yeah, you can find us wherever you find your podcast, Historical AF. Unless you're the job I applied for and it's historical and fun. (laughs) (laughs) Nice and clean. (laughs) Yeah, that's been fun. I've been applying for jobs and then I'm like, oh, no, if they listen. (laughs) Yeah. I feel the same way. (laughs) Yeah. 
You know what? I'll take the download. Go ahead. <laughs> Check it out. Well, it's funny because my husband back to the Rasputin, he's like, What if they listen to that? And I'm like, I didn't lie. It's not my funny or fault that penis strokes are funny. <laughs> like it's all true. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, every man wants to hear that. Yeah. It, yeah, we did a whole episode on historical penises, and I'm like, that's probably why I'm not getting callbacks. But it it were you hard up for topics? Is that the- <laughs> sorry? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's some things that are just hilarious. Medieval cats was probably one of my other favorite topics we did because really? they are so Ooh. funny. It's like artists had never seen a cat before. Oh, you mean like in in, in the, uh, the illuminated manuscripts and stuff? Yeah, yeah. and they yeah. were done on purpose, which is why I think it's more fun. Like they knew how to paint a cat, but they painted them that way for a reason. It's all to do with the Bible and Christian. Yeah, but then you like say, I, I hate ye old Mondays, right? So what's... <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to listen to that episode then. Yeah, I and this. actually, uh, it was uh, my guest was Lucy from Wine and Crime, and it was it was so funny. She's nice. hilarious. Nice. Yeah. So we, we should well, probably wrap things up here. Yeah. You want to bring it home? Got, yeah, we just got one final question that we like to ask all of our guests. What's your favorite monster? Oh my goodness. I've been thinking about this because it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think and I I'm gonna say Whitey because I don't think anybody's ever heard of her. She is a river monster from my hometown. So the White River in the Ozarks in Arkansas had a river monster and she was spotted even in the Civil War. She was blamed for knocking over some ships in the river that were coming with supplies you know so it's just so fun and there's a lot of you know rumors of what she really was and some people think it's a whale or what is it a elephant seal or a manatee which is not really likely in arkansas but i just think it's fun and then she sadly died when they built the dam but you know womp womp but i love that little river monster it's what i grew up with it was one of the first stories i heard of local lore wow and uh yeah, I, I don't think I've ever heard of Whitey the I haven't Arkansas heard River Monster. Yeah, I I don't think there's a whole lot on there. An episode. Yeah, and there's so many river and lake monsters all over the country. No, that's true. I, mm-hmm. I love Loch Ness, of course, and I believe in it, even though I know that logically they've already admitted that that photo was fake. But <laughs> I like the idea of it, you know. But I just think it's really fun because there's so many, especially hillbilly stories are so funny. The way people talk about things like that done dinosaur over there. It's just too funny. But the accounts of her is just people loved her and it just makes me happy. And it was, yeah, like I said, I lived probably a mile from that river. So just very cool. It is weird how like these like a little lakes will have like. I mean, little rivers and like, you know, small communities will have like a, a, a legend, you know, mm-hmm. even like Georgia has Alti, but they call her Alti and she's like in a, in a South Georgia river. And like, even in my hometown, there were, there was like a fishing pond and people alleged that there was a monster alligator gar <laughs> living in the pond, you know? And it's like, I mean, you know, river or alligator guards can get pretty big and they are a very aggressive mm-hmm. fish, but I mean, oh, yeah. it's hardly a monster. No one ever got, you know, and even like our dam, like people, and this is all over the country where they have dams after the TVA came in. They were, people like would say, well, down near the dam, down near where the water goes under, you know, there's catfish down there. Divers <laughs> yeah. go in and they see catfish bigger than humans and they'd come out and they're scared. You know, the hair, yeah. hair turn white. 
you know. So yeah, we had the man eating catfish too. Yep, yep. <laughs> always pulling some nameless kid into the water. So yeah. Ooh. Oh, absolutely. That's always fun to me. The same similarities all over the country. All over the country. Yep. Oh yeah, yep. And yeah. all around the world. Yeah, Hawaii is just a a fun one. I just I think I love just how much people talked about it, like it was a beloved creature and the ties to the Civil War because the waterways and that part of the state were really important to get supplies to Little Rock. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Little Rock has an armory and there was a standoff. And if shots would have been fired, the Civil War would have started there. That's a a great answer and definitely one we haven't heard before. True. Yeah, yeah. I I love it. And yeah, especially back home, we had the river monster and then we supposedly had a Bigfoot too. So I always think that's really funny (laughs) because... Yeah. Yeah. Well, Arkansas has got Falk. They got the Falk monster. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That one's a fun one. They actually have a festival at that in that town for him. Yeah. (laughs) If anybody shows up, the town's like really going to benefit because there's hardly anybody. It's like 800 people, I think, live there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 801. Yeah. Yeah, The town I grew up in had 416. So it's. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Is it, yeah. you, you're not far from San Antonio? Yeah, I'm right in the middle. So I'm about 40 minutes from San Antonio, 40 minutes from Austin. Man, great oh, that is a great place to be. That's, that's Oh, yeah. So, so have you been to the Museum of the Weird in Austin? Not yet. Not yet. Austin, sadly, I haven't done a whole lot in Austin, uh, traffic-wise. So, yeah. And it, yeah, it's really hard yeah, to get around downtown. Hard. San Antonio is really easy to get around. So we I go mean, there. If you, if you day trip and you go to 6th Street, that's like you won't be able to go home because it's like you'll be drunk. But yeah. uh, <laughs> but, but there is, there's the Museum of the Weird there and they've got the Minnesota Iceman that has been relocated down there. It's kind of fun. It's it's a fun, I have to say, I recommend it. It's a fun visit. It's a, it's not a big museum and they have lots of real things and lots of gaffes and, and mm-hmm. a cool little gift shop. And it's a, you know, I haven't been since obviously the pandemic, but before the pandemic, I, I went a few times. I really enjoyed it. So I do recommend. Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about Elizabeth Bathory. And I'm really excited to see what happens in future years, what comes out of Hungary. But I do have to agree with something you said earlier that I just don't think we'll ever know the full truth. It's true. I think it's a good sign, though, that people are starting to question, though. And I I hope that as far as podcasts and YouTube and all that goes, I'm hoping people start looking a little bit more skeptically and we start getting both sides. Like you said, it's very one sided right now, but I'm hoping maybe this will help this podcast. Well, we hope we try. We we try. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Any little nudge towards uh, a a reasonable evidence based world. we, We try. We still love monsters and weird stuff, but, you know. There's no reason we can't do that with an eye towards, you know, reality. <laughs> yeah. And if anything, this can just teach you that sometimes you have to go past the first page of Google, maybe even like to page eight to find <laughs> yeah, something yeah. different. No but kidding. If everybody's saying the same thing and it sounds too good to be true, keep digging. Yep. Try to find something Indeed. that's a little, little different. So, Well, thank you so much. Monster Dog. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You've been listening to an interview with the host of the historical AF podcast, Kina, discussing the controversy around the true history of Elizabeth Bathory. A link to the podcast is in our show notes, along with links to books and resources, as well as some creepy but fictional horror films about or inspired by the legends that surround Bathory. 
Monster Talk is a member of the Airwave Podcasting Network, home to other quality shows such as Ben Franklin's World, Infamous America, and Into the Impossible. Find these and other shows at airwavemedia.com. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. And sincerely and truly, we thank you for listening. a monster house presentation it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.